0: 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. We have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Parham joining us this morning. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, the married couple. Congratulations, guys. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Let me read it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now and And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just pour out your spirit upon us, empower, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, that we might receive your word and your word would just bear fruit in our lives, bear fruit in our church. You'd help us, Lord, grow in godliness, you'd help us understand what it means to be a child of yours, what it means to follow Jesus, to pick up a cross, deny ourselves, and honor and glorify you in all that we, all that we do. And so, Lord, would you bless us and would you accomplish all of your good purposes through your word here this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. So when I first moved here, I had a friend who, uh, he's no longer here, but he he was an older gentleman and he really loved Robert De Niro movies. I think it was Robert De Niro. And just hanging around him, he'd always be sharing like, hey, you got to watch this Robert De Niro movie or you got to watch that. And so I took an interest in Robert De Niro movies only because he liked to talk about Robert De Niro all the time. And there was this one in particular he said you had to watch. And it's not, I guess, one of Robert's favorite, or not favorite, one of his famous movies it was kind of like a, a B Robert De Niro movie if there's such a thing and so I watched it and kind of liked it I don't know if I could, would ever recommend it but in this movie he uh, ordains himself as an apostle and so he's in this lake and he's just calling out and he just ordains himself an apostle which is strange but it's just a movie And he does that but anyways I'm not telling you about that part of it What he would do though as he became this apostle is he would would just go from town to town and they'd move his family to a new house and every time he moved his family to a new house he would gather all of his kids and his wife, mainly his kids, would be on the porch and he'd have them stand there and he'd look at them and he'd say, who are we? And then they'd say their last name, we're so and so and I can't remember who it was. But anyways, and he said, what does that mean? And he just had this list of things. We're this, and this means this. This is who we are because we have this last name, and this is who you've taught us to be. And so every town they went into, they did that, and they had a lot of ups and downs and different things. And it's not a Christian movie, so just because I said he ordained himself an apostle, it's not a Christian movie. Anyways, point is, that's what he would do when he'd move his family to town. And so since then, my kids were really little, on occasion... There are these moments where I will find myself addressing my kids. And I'll say, who are we? And sometimes I'm doing this because they're not acting like who I think they should act like. Or they're not representing the Anderson name, so to speak. And so I'll do this on occasion. And I want to remind them of certain things. I want to remind them. The reason I do this and make them think about being an Anderson is... I want them to understand that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. So a lot of times this comes out in the sense of like, you got to put your stuff away because you're not the only person that lives in this house. You're actually part of a family, and it means something. I want them also to think about the fact that they don't live out their lives as individuals being able to say and do whatever it is they want to say and do without it affecting the people that they live with. I also want them to consider the values that we hold in our home because those mean things. And so when they leave our home, I want them to, I want them to understand that, that they're not just leaving on their own. They, they represent something. And in, in some ways, they represent our family. So being an Anderson means something to our family. And I'm going to assume your last name and the family you're a part of, that that also means something. You've been shaped by your family that you grew up with or the family that you're currently seeking to build for the glory of God. It means something to you, and it shapes the way you look at the world, and it probably shapes the way you live in this world. Now, this is not only true in the sense of us and our family and you and your family. But what we're going to see in our text this morning, it's it's also really true. And I would say it's even more true when it comes to the family of God. That God has brought us into his family and and that should mean something. I'm not saying it in the sense of that's my opinion. We're going to see this from scripture that being a child of God does mean something. Children of God look like something they act like someone because they represent God when they go out in this world and so we're gonna we're just gonna ask this question as we look at these 10 verses what does it mean to be a child of God what does it mean to be a child just think about that for a second before we try to answer it how how do you answer that question how do you think about it I say in some ways it's probably the reason you're here this morning. You're probably here in a church because you're a child of God. But just think about that. What does it mean to be a child of God? As we seek to answer this question from the text, though, we're going to look at three points this morning. In our first point, we learn this. We become children of God by the love of God. So we don't make ourselves children of God. God is the one who makes us his children. So look again at verse 1 of chapter 3. The Apostle John writes the following. He says, See, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. When John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, he isn't telling us to kind of take a casual look over there when you get a chance at the love of God. It's more intense than that. The word see in Greek means to behold, to ponder, to study, to pay careful attention to, or in my version I'd say, take a long, intentional look. At the love of God. That's what John's doing here. He's inviting us to intentionally think about and to study God's love with wonder, urgency, and amazement. For it's this love from God the Father that has brought us into his family. It's the love of God that makes us actual children of God, And so it's something that, that we should be looking at, we should be paying attention to, we should study, there should be this intentionality to see it, and not just see it once, but to constantly find ourselves looking back at it with this wonder and this amazement, because none of us, none of us become God's children apart from the love of God. And one of the reasons we can keep looking at it with this wonder and amazement is it's deep. It's marvelous. It's incomprehensible. Meaning we get to know true things about it, but it's so big and it's so broad and it's so amazing that we'll never get our arms or our minds completely around it, but instead we're just going to study it and we're just going to look at it and we're just going to be amazed at it more and more the more and more we look at it. And we're called to look at it often, but it's big, it's wonderful, and it's the thing that has made us one of his children. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he just sort of shared his heart for the Ephesians, and he shares a prayer that he prays for them. And in this prayer, he, he, he talks about the love of God the love of God in Christ and and how he's praying for them that they might comprehend it listen to this he says for this reason i bow my knees this is ephesians 3:14 i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the through his spirit in your inner being so that and sometimes we just take this casual look at it. And we just say, yeah, okay, I understand. God so loved me, sent his son Jesus to die for me. And then we move on to something else. But, but that's not what John wants us to do. And then what we see Paul doing is, is Paul doesn't want them to move on from this either. Instead, he wants God to grant them this wisdom and this ability to see it and be amazed by it. Because, because this love informs all that we say and do. This love changes us radically. It changes us radically because it makes us alive together through faith in Christ. It's God acting on our behalf to bring us into his family, radically transforming us. And so where do we see this love? i us say the place we see this love most clearly is going to be at the cross. Or you could say in the person and work of Jesus Christ, where we know God so loved the world, he gave his son Jesus to this world, to live in our place. And then we go to the cross and we see the love of God because what we see on the cross is we see God sending his son. We see Jesus who is the son of God who intentionally goes to the cross to pay the full penalty for our sins by sacrificing himself on the cross, having his body being broken and his blood being poured out as payment for our sins. So that we would be forgiven, forever forgiven, declared righteous, brought into this right relationship with God where we get to interact with him as our heavenly father. And not just interact with him, but then he brings us into this community of believers where we get to interact with one another. We get to do life together. We get to live together. We get to walk through messy stuff together. And we get to forgive one another. We get to grow together. And seeking to glorify God. And so we look to the cross because that's where we see God's love most clearly, I'd say. God sacrificing himself, Jesus, on the cross for us. It's this love from God the Father that brings us into his family. And it's a gift. David Allen in his commentary writes the following about this gift. He says, this love is a gift. God reaches down to us, unlovely though we are in the midst of our sins. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. God has given this love to us and has called each of us his child. God has given us the honor of bearing his name. See, if you're a Christian, you call yourself a believer. What you need to understand is the reason you're a believer is because God has loved you. And it's a gift. It's a free gift. You did nothing to deserve this. God took the initiative. See, we, we weren't here saying, Lord, can you, can you help us out? Can you do something for us? God, God had a purpose and a plan from the very beginning to come after us. To send his son to save us. And it's a gift. And it's free. And it's meant to amaze us did nothing to deserve it scripture talks about it we, we were his enemies but yet at the right time God loved us by sending his son to save us and this is good news and we want to look at that and not just once we want to spend our days looking at the love of God allowing the love of God to stir us up and create in us a passion for God and for his ways And this love, it it radically transforms us. This is why at the end of verse 1, John says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And he's just saying here, listen, this love has made you a child of God and this love will change you so much that as you live out your life as a child of God, do not be surprised that the world around you, meaning the unbelieving world all around you, doesn't like it. Doesn't recognize it. Doesn't celebrate it. And the reason he gives us is, and oh, by the way, your, your, your Savior also wasn't recognized and celebrated. Again, just think about Jesus. He came to earth, and what happened? They didn't, they didn't put him on a throne and worship him. Instead, they rejected him. Put him on a cross and crucified him. So don't be surprised. If you're a child of God, do not be surprised if you live out your life seeking to honor and glorify God as you pick up a cross and you're seeking to bring glory to Jesus as you live out your life in this world as a child of God, don't be surprised when this world doesn't recognize or celebrate you. And he goes on in verse 2 and he says this, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so John tells us that we are God's children now. But there is so much more that awaits us in heaven that we have to look forward to when we see Jesus face to face. Today, we get to experience some of the benefits of being God's children, but but there's more that awaits us. There's a transformation that's going to take place. In a sense, what he's saying is, this isn't home yet. It's not. This, This isn't heaven. And if you've been around in our church, you've heard me say this over and over again. I think it's just really important for us to understand that. This is not heaven. We are children of God, but what awaits us is something greater than what we experience today. And so we have hope for that day, but yet we still live our lives today. But what we need to understand is, I guess the phrase I use is, we don't want to have an over-realized eschatology. Meaning we don't want to live today as if this is heaven. And we do sometimes, and I'll get there in a moment in the sense of how I think we do that, but but we just need to understand, we are children of God now, we experience the benefits of being in Christ, but there's so much more that awaits us. As we get to realize it in full, when we stand before Jesus face to face, when we get to see Jesus face to face, we're going to be transformed into his likeness. We're going to receive glorified bodies. Young people, you probably don't really think much about that. Or if you're really healthy, you probably don't really think about your body being transformed and getting that glorified body. But, but growing up as a believer, after I got saved, I had a friend who lived his entire life in a wheelchair. I think up to the age of 30. And as it progressed, his disease, which eventually ended up taking his life, he got to the point where he could do nothing. He was in a wheelchair. He could kind of move himself with his hands and stuff. But eventually, this disease took his life. And and he lived with this hope of being freed from the wheelchair, of being freed from a body that was just every single day shutting down slowly over and over again. And in a smaller way old guys and I would include myself in the old guy care I, I put an age on it 40 and over so if you're over 40 we're, we're just old guys because if you hang out with people over 40 what you end up seeing and hearing from them, you hear like oh they're getting up or like I don't know why I'm so I didn't even do anything but I, honestly I feel like I squat I told my wife this yesterday I feel like I squatted yesterday or a couple of days ago I was telling the young guys back there and they were mocking me Tyler and all that kind of stuff and it's just it's an old guy thing like, I can't see sometimes. This is a little secret because I haven't let transition. Sometimes when I'm up here and I'm reading my Bible and you hear this long pause, it's because my eyes aren't working. I'm not lying to you. And then sometimes it's dark. And so there's this weird thing that happens where you've got to get readers. Raise your hand if you have those. Not, readers? young. Yeah. Oh, Okay, yeah, I mean, you got to do different things. Point being is if you're young, I get it, you can't see 40, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when you get there, you'll remember this. And the whole point of this, I think, as I get older, is that God is reminding us every single day through every little bit of physical suffering that this is not our home. It's not. These bodies are passing away. Some sooner than others or later in some ways. It's just, it's just happening and it's, it's God's way of reminding us this place doesn't last forever. There's something that awaits us that's so much better. And When we see Jesus face to face, we get to experience it in full. Glorified bodies like his. And then on top of that, sin's gone. Can you imagine that? No more sin, fully destroyed, not ever going to be there in heaven. There, there will be no more tears of these sadness and disappointment and no more funerals or, or just anything. You're, you're going to think just like this is the part, it's hard, but we got to think about this sometimes. Is Can you imagine thinking without the effects of sin? knowing things as they're meant to be known, and then responding the right way and the way in which God has created us to respond. A simple way way of saying this is everything's just going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be the way it was meant to be created. And then imagine looking at a perfect creation and exploring a perfect creation with a mind that doesn't have sin affecting it. And then being in a relationship with someone that you never have to say, hey, will you please forgive me for something? This all awaits us when we see Christ face to face. It's incomprehensible to think about it. Meaning, again, not being able to fully get our arms and minds around, but we're called to think about it. Because it awaits us and it it brings and it builds this hope and it should It brings a lot of joy, especially when you find yourself at a funeral, doesn't it? To know that we're going to see a brother or sister again. And we're never going to have to bury a brother or sister again. But we're just going to be able to live together forever. Because God has made us his children. And when we see Christ face to face, we'll be like him. This is good news. And we long for this day. But we're not there yet verse 3 he says the following he says and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure and so he says okay this is what's to come and everybody who's hoping in him in this thing that we get as we get to realize what it means to be a child of God in full on that day he says everyone who's hoping in him and he brings us back to today he says purifies himself as he is pure if we're to be like Jesus, when we see him face to face, then John tells us we must act like him today until we see him face to face. If Jesus is pure and holy, then we who hope in him should seek to live pure and holy lives. When we're brought into God's family through adoption, he begins to change us from the inside out he does this he brings us into his family and then he just starts this work where he begins to change us from the inside out he changes our hearts making us alive to him and his ways he pours out his spirit upon us filling us with power and wisdom and gifts to live our lives for him and his glory to fight the sin that remains in our lives or to live pure and holy lives. God does this in us and he invites us to participate in it as well. So who makes us children of God? He does. See what kind of love he has given to us. Look at it. Enjoy it. Search it. Wonder at it. Study it over and over and over again be amazed before we move on to our second point i want to ask two questions number one is this are you seeking are you seeking to behold and and look at the love of god for you in christ jesus and then number two the question is this are you seeking by the grace of god to live a pure and holy life as you wait to see your savior face to face in our second point, we learn what this pure and what, what purity and holiness looks like. Point number two, children of God do not continue living in sin. Living a pure and holy life means we take sin seriously. By putting it to death in our lives, instead of making room for it, or the word that John's going to use, instead of practicing it. Look at verse 4, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It is a rejection of God and his ways. It's God saying, hey, I created you in my image after my likeness, and and this is what I created you for, and this is how I created you to live, because he's the creator. So he kind of has a pretty good idea about us. Right? We just agree with that? God, creator, made us. He kind of knows what he made us for, how we should function. He's actually defined everything in, in many ways for us, and, and he's thrown it all out there. But, but what he's saying there is everybody who rejects God and everybody rejects God's ways, he says, that's called lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's rejecting of God's truth and obedience to his ways. And so we sin. Every time we do not think about what God has called us to think about. We sin every time we don't do what God has called us to do. We sin every time we don't say what God has called us to say. And so if you're just to think about that, the conclusion is we we, we just sin a lot, don't we? It's just present in our lives. We, We sin every day. But the problem here is not. That we sin, that's not what John's talking about. John's already addressed sin and what we do with our sin. We confess our sin and we repent of our sin. What, what he's concerned about here are people who make a practice of sin. People who are claiming to be a child of God, having been saved by God, and having, having trusted in Christ. His, his concern here is those who are saying that, but yet are continuing to make it a practice of theirs to continue to go on sinning without confessing those sins and turning away from them. Verse 5, he goes on and he says this. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. So he's just reminding us. You know that Jesus actually came into this world to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So again, remember, John's writing this letter so that we would have assurance. That we know that we believe in Jesus. And so he's been laying out these tests for us and saying, okay, you can look at this. And it's a good indicator of this. And so now he's saying, I want you to just take a look at your life. In relation to sin." That remains in your life. He's not saying that you have to be perfect here. He's he's not envisioning just this whole army of people living as if they're in heaven. Because we're not in heaven yet. And so when we get to heaven, that's when sin no longer exists. But we live today. And sin still exists. If you don't believe me, just you can follow me around. And I'll follow you around. It's just there. We're not perfect today. Sin still remains. And and again, go back to earlier in 1 John. He says, well, what do you do with that sin remains? You confess it. You repent of it. You trust that God is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins. We deal with sin. We try to take sin seriously. And so he's not saying you have to be perfect here. But what he's getting at is that true children of God do not make a practice of sinning. Don't make light of sin. Don't make room for sin to remain. They they have this conviction that grows. Sometimes it takes time to grow, but it's there. And when that conviction grows, he calls for us to confess it. To bring it out into the light. To turn away from it, to fight it. As we wait to see Christ face to face. This is important for us to understand that sin still remains today. We're not in heaven yet, but we're still called to live a holy life. It's important for us to understand, because I, I don't want us to be surprised by sin when it appears in our life. It's one of the concerns I would have personally, and one of the concerns I would have for us as a church is sometimes we find ourselves surprised that other people sin. Sometimes this is where I think we, we can live our life as if we have that over-realized expectation or over-realized eschatology and, and we can just begin to think, no, we live in heaven. At least in my home, we, we, we're there. My, my kids should be perfect. My husband should be perfect. My husband should never have to confess a sin or repent or my wife should never, my kids aren't ever going to screw up. And, and we can find ourselves being surprised when sin shows up. I don't ever want us to be surprised. John doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to go around and build these little self-righteous cultures in our home or a self-righteous culture in a church where, where everybody just walks around and pretends like they don't sin. He wants us to deal with it. He wants us to, to fight sin. Because Jesus died for our sin. Broke the power of sin's grasp over our lives. But, but it still remains And it seeks to influence our lives. And it will until we breathe our very last breath. And we won't be completely free from it until we see Christ face to face. With that being said, it doesn't give us an excuse to keep on sinning. Instead, what it does is it's meant to help us fight sin. To live pure and holy lives as we look to Jesus who is pure and holy. As we look to Him who is our righteousness and as we wait to see Him face to face, we we seek to fight sin. We seek to put it to death. So instead of being surprised by it, let's fight it. And let's help one another fight it. That's what I love about being in a community is it's not just when you miss a name on a new member's Sunday list and you have people stand up and say, hey, what about that? But it's when you're trying to parent or you're trying to be a godly husband or you're just trying to live a life honoring and pleasing the Lord, you have all these people that say, hey, what about that? Do you think you should consider this? Or a bunch of people that are just praying for you because they know you're walking through things. As we live in the context of a community and we get to do this together, this is not just an individual thing. This is a church thing. We get to fight sin together. Oh, how I, one of the things I pray for us is that is that we would have a culture of repentance and faith and the thing i pray against is that we would we would fight really hard not to build a self-righteous culture because this is meant to be inviting here john's saying okay this is what a child of god is he fights sin a self-righteous culture hides sin they act as if they don't really sin and when you build a self-righteous culture here's how you build it somebody comes to you and they confess a sin you go i can't believe he would do that and you do that over and over in your home with your kids, guess what's going to happen? I don't know that they're going to actually tell you anything after a while. But we want to build a humble, godly culture in our home and in our church. Well, how do you do that? You celebrate people when they fight sin. Celebrate. It is an evidence of God's grace. When somebody comes to you and say, Mom or Dad, i got to share something with you. And whenever you hear that, all I would say as a parent, I'd just say, okay, like pray quietly. And you just look at them. And then you respond with a thank you. I've had a number of conversations over the years with parents where kids have, not with parents, with kids. Who have shared things with me. Experiences they've had with their parents of sharing struggles that they have been walking through and then sharing how their mom and dads have responded. It's not just in our church, it's outside the church as well, but and just sharing these things. And they say, and when I saw their face or I saw their response, I said, I'm never sharing that again with them. I would just encourage us as a church, we want to fight sin. We want to make a big deal of sin. Because children of God live pure and holy lives. But, but we need to understand the way in which we live pure and holy lives is by exposing it. And God is at work in us. And if, if we're not in the habit of exposing, guess what he's going to do? He's going to expose it. How does he usually expose it? We usually get caught. It's usually embarrassing. Humiliating at times. Especially in our minds when we begin to think this sin's bigger than that sin. And so it's easy to say, would you please forgive me? I got angry at you. I kind of went, ugh. It's harder to confess things that are bigger than that. That anger is sort of socially acceptable. And all I'm saying to this is that just as parents and as people, just, just prepare your hearts that God is at work in his children, making us pure and holy. He will expose it in some way. It's a whole lot easier when when we participate with them and you feel that conviction, you bring it out in the light. I'm just saying, building a culture of holiness means there's going to be a culture of repentance and faith. And not being surprised by sin, but celebrating the grace of God at work in somebody's life when they actually say, hey, this is what I did, would you please forgive me? Because that's what holy people do. That's what purity looks like. As we grow freer and freer from sin. See, those who aren't children of God, they practice sin. They just do it and they don't care about it. And they just hide it and they just keep moving on to it. But when somebody starts fighting sin, guess what they're going to do? They're going to start confessing it. They're going to start bringing it out into the light. And it's not just going to be a little, it's going to be a lot at times. And that's the grace of God. Holiness today looks like a lot of repentance and faith growing freer and freer and freer from sin. And so it's going to look different. Meaning your anger might look like you get in a fight on a field because somebody ticked you off. And and as you grow freer from anger, it might begin to look like that grumbling and complaining over time. It might look like an outburst a little bit here and then a repentance and and it begins to shift and change and and there's self-control added to it. But, But it doesn't get to the point where you're free from it until when? So we're in heaven and we see Jesus face to face and it's removed from us. And so we hope for that. But the point is, children of God, here's the warning and what he's getting at here, they don't practice sin. You're not hiding it. You're not making room for it to remain. You're bringing it out in the light and you're fighting it. Daniel Atkin wrote the following, he says, because of the new birth, We have a new nature. Because Christ has taken away our sin, we have a new liberty and freedom. Sin no longer dominates us or enslaves us. Because I now abide in Christ and in the power of His person and work in the gospel, I may fall into sin, but I will not walk in it. Sin will not be my habit. It will not be my normal practice. I no longer love sin. I hate sin. I no longer delight in sin. I despise sin. See, all that takes place in the hearts of God's children. And the reason it takes place in the hearts of God's children is because God has radically changed us from the inside out. Taking dead hearts and making them alive. Allowing His Spirit to dwell in us. See, when we abide in Christ and he abides in us, this union, what do you think happens when we've been united together with Christ? Do you think he's going to be united to people and just allow for sin to remain? you think his spirit is just going to kind of be at work over here doing all of this and say, yeah, and you can have your fun in this, this sin over here? That's just not how it works. When God saves us and we're united together through faith with Christ, he dwells in us, we dwell in him, and his spirit's at work in us, it's going to get rid of that sin. Listen to this third point. We learn that the children of God practice righteousness while children of the devil practice sinning. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. See, John's writing this because there were false teachers present in the congregation of these churches. And they were actually teaching them that, oh yeah, you can believe in Jesus and you don't have to really deal with sin. You can trust in Christ, be saved, and spend eternity in heaven and you don't have to deal with sin because it's not that big of a deal. You can do whatever it is you want with your body. And so they would make little of sin, treating it as if it was no big deal. And he's correcting them here because when they're teaching this way, what they're doing is, is they're misleading people. That's not how the gospel works. You you can't believe in Jesus and be a true and genuine child of God and think that you can just keep on sinning as if it's not a big deal because it doesn't work that way. Christ does not make room for sin to remain in our lives. He who began a good work in you will what? Where's Ricardo? Yeah, he's going to be faithful to complete it. That's just what God does. That's how his grace works. If he's genuinely saved you, what John's trying to teach us here is that it's going to be impossible to go on sinning. Now you'll sin until you die, but you'll be free from that sin. But what he's saying is is Christ is at work in you and he's not going to make room for you to hide your sin if you've been genuinely saved. He's not going to make room for you to continue to practice that sin. Because he loves to discipline those he loves. He loves to put a stop sign up and just say, stop, pay attention to this. Do not move forward until this is dealt with and he deals with it and he invites us to deal with it with him and to walk humbly before him, trusting that he really opposes the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. And so God is at work. He finishes what he starts because he's righteous. And we trust in Christ who's righteous. And he's at work in us, leading us in righteousness. And so what he's saying here is children of God, they practice righteousness. They wake up and they seek to honor and glorify God. They seek to have eyes that look to the love of God. They have a heart and a desire to do what God has called and created them to do. Now, the children of the devil, he tells us, no, they practice sinning. They live in sin. They love sin. They hide sin. They only sin. Never seeking to repent of that sin. David Allen wrote this about sin. He said, if sin is the rule rather than the exception, you've not been born of God. It's just something to think about. Something to take sort of just a life test and just look. What, what does sin look like in my life? Where is it showing up? Is it the rule or is it the exception? Verse 9, he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Again, just John saying, If you're a child of God, God is absolutely committed to seeing you make it. And to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. So let me ask you to consider your life for a moment. Are you seeking to honor and obey your heavenly father? Are you fighting sin? Or are you practicing it? I remember when I first got saved. It was one of the things I noticed. I was 19 at the time. Before, I would have given lip service to the Lord, and like, I knew certain things were wrong, but I really enjoyed those things, and so I kept doing those things. And My friends would joke around. We'd go do things, and they'd say, how do you feel? And I'd be like, oh, I feel bad. I feel like something's going to happen. They're like, that's a good thing, because we never get in trouble when you have that feeling. And so we just continued to do that. Well, then eventually, like the Lord saved me, and all of a sudden, I remember doing things I used to do, and there was just like this. I could feel it in my body, this sense of like, That was wrong. See, the Lord is at work. That's called conviction. And we attribute that to the Spirit at work in us. Where's the Spirit at work in you? What's He calling you to repent of? I want to encourage you to have the faith to trust the Lord that He really does oppose the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. In verse 10, John closes by writing the following. He says, by this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I love that he goes relational. So the whole time he's been talking about practicing righteousness. And we're not going to jump into the loving the brother thing today, but we'll get into that next week. We say this is how it's evident. Just look at your life. This is how you know. This is how you can have assurance that God has genuinely saved you. Is is there a practice of righteousness anywhere going on in your life? And then he says, oh, and by the way, take a look at how you interact with your brothers and sisters. How are those things going? Do you love one another? Are you walking in unity with one another? David Allen writes this. He says, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is what one practices, righteousness or sin. One who does not practice righteousness is not of God, meaning God is not his spiritual father. The foolproof test in this paternity dispute is to take swabs of lifestyle. And the one that shows no evidence of someone doing the right thing can't be God's child. It's all by God's grace that we could even do the right thing. It's, it's not this, like, I did this today and I was able to accomplish this thing. I would say, I, by the grace of God, was able to love my wife as Christ loved the church today. I, by the grace of God, was able to train my kids today. I, by the grace of God, was able to not get angry and yell when they didn't pick up their bedroom again for the tenth day in a row. Or whatever it is you're doing and wrestling with. So let me ask this in closing. What does your life say about your faith take the lifestyle lifestyle test are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing sin those who practice righteousness have assurance God is at work God is at work you are a child of God the spirit is dwelling in you and it is working but those who are practicing sin, John would say, you, you need to take a look at your life. You need to understand, if you're practicing sin, you, you might not actually be a child of God. You might actually be of the devil. And it's my prayer, is that we would be children of God. Be children of God, that we would honor Him, by His grace, with the lives that He has called us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us, that you would bless us as a church. That, Lord, you would help us practice righteousness. Lord, not to earn favor, but because you have made us righteous through faith in Christ. That you would work this out in our lives until, Lord, we get to see Christ face to face. Lord, would you build up our hope that, Lord, we would long for this day to see Jesus. And Lord, would you give us the the power and the spirit and the understanding to to behold this love that you have loved us with. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, those who are practicing sin, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon them and you'd convict them and you'd help them to see Jesus and to repent of their sins and to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, would you bless the remainder of our day today? May we honor you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. May the Lord pour out his spirit upon you. May you experience peace and mercy. Have a great Sunday.